we're going to look at Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter 6 begin with verse number 10 Ephesians chapter 6 begin with verse number 10 let's look at what the word of God says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And everyone said... Amen. When you look at the Bible, it's be hard-pressed not to agree that there's a devil. Do you agree? I think the Bible is very clear that we have an adversary, that we have an enemy that is, is the controller of uh, the, the demonic realm. And uh, you cannot look at the Bible and see that there's not an enemy that exists. And I believe that some Christians live as though he don't exist. But I believe a proper perspective would tell us that there is an enemy that really does exist. The book of Genesis chapter number 3, he shows up for the very first time. He shows up as a serpent in Genesis chapter number 3. And then in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 21, he shows up um, around there. He shows up as a dragon. So from the beginning of the Bible, from the end of the Bible, he shows up and all between he's showing up. It's interesting to me that the devil shows up as a serpent in the garden. Do you know that it's very common for serpents or snakes to be found in a garden? The enemy has a tendency to show up at common places where people, you know, are not necessarily... Sometimes we view the devil as uh, somebody with a pitchfork and a black robe on that looks really scary. That's not the enemy. The enemy shows up at common places. And so the enemy showed up at a very common place in the garden. He's expected to show up. He's a serpent. Serpents are found in gardens. He was, he was found in a garden, and he started talking to Eve. And you know the story. Because of that, the whole human race fell into sin. The enemy does exist. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus refers to the enemy as Satan, or the evil one. He does exist. Not only does Jesus refer to him 27 times in the Gospels, but the enemy is also mentioned throughout the epistles and is also mentioned in the apocalypse of Revelation many times. The enemy is a fallen angel. He's recorded in the book of Ezekiel as a fallen angel. He used to lead worship in heaven. He led the choirs of heaven. He walked up and down the mountain of God. He had influence. The scripture tells us that he's referred to as an angel Many theologians believe he was an archangel. We know that there's an archangel by the name of uh, Michael. There's an archangel by the name of Gabriel. But also many believe that Lucifer was an archangel as well. These archangels, uh, we assume, had jurisdiction over a third of the angels of heaven. So Michael had a jurisdiction of one-third of the angels. Gabriel had... Uh, a jurisdiction over one-third of the angels, and Lucifer likely had jurisdiction over one-third of the angels. In the book of Revelation, 
uh, it tells us that that old serpent, the dragon, took one-third of the stars with him. He influenced one-third of the angels, and they rebelled with Lucifer. And because of that, Lucifer and those angels were fallen. And Jesus prophetically said, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning. And because of that, Jesus said that hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. Those angels are fallen spirits. They are demonic spirits that are now working on the hearts of men and women. I promise you, Lucifer probably is not after you tonight, but he does have a kingdom. He does have principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, and he has a demonic realm that is after you. I do believe that there are demonic spirits that are after or have jurisdiction over certain cities. And I believe in certain regions there is demonic activity uh, because where there is more people, there is more sin. Where there is more people, there is more sin. And you know that. Populated areas with more people, abundantly, there will be more sin or more sin activity. So Satan is on the rampage. Satan is after. It's interesting to me that, that Satan and God is after your soul. Your soul is very important tonight. Satan's after it, and God's after it. God died for it, he shed his blood for it, and Satan is after it as well. That should prove to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that you are worth something. That proves to you tonight that you are worth something. When God wants your soul and Satan wants your soul, you are worth something. There is a demonic realm that's after your soul, and there is a spiritual realm. There is the forces of light wants your soul as well. Two kingdoms after your soul, and you've got to make a decision which side of the fence you're going to serve. You're going to go in the way of darkness or the way of light, but somebody's going to have your soul. You see, Jesus says what Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to serve two masters. You're either going to serve one or you want to hate the one, but you're going to serve one or the other. You're going to serve. So the Bible is very clear that Satan really does exist. He is referred to as many different names in the Bible. And we're not going to get into them, but his primary name is Lucifer, the son of the morning, because he was given that name by God, and he was the worship leader of heaven, or the worship leader, this, this, this angel that God created. He was a created angel. Uh, the Bible says prophetically that this man, this angel, uh, exuded worship before God, walking up down the mountain of God, worshiping and praising God until iniquity was found in him. What was found in him? It was iniquity. It was sin. It was jealousy. It was pride. He wanted the glory of God. He wanted the glory of God. And since he couldn't get the glory, he's going to try to take you and I out. And we got to be aware. We got to be aware of his devices. We got to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. We got to be aware of the plans of the enemy because I promise you, the enemy has a plan. He is very strategic, he is systematic. If you, if you don't know, you need to know this. The enemy is very systematic. He's very planned. He has a strategy. His kingdom is very organized. You see this in, ex, uh, you see this in Ephesians chapter number 6, and you'll see in verse number 12, the author here, who is Paul, clearly defines to us that the enemy has a kingdom, and this kingdom is systematic. This kingdom is organized. Look at verse number 12. He says, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle against powers, we wrestle against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You see, there is a dimension to the enemy's kingdom. He says, in this kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, he says, there's principalities, 
there is powers, number two. Number three, there's rulers of darkness. That's number four. And then he says there's spiritual hosts in heavenly places. In other words, right above your head, there's a battle taking place. Above your head, the forces of darkness is waging against the forces of light above your head. And that is why when we come to the house of God, our worship sometimes is hindered. Do you know why I believe our worship is hindered? You think you're tired. You think you're exhausted. You think your mind, you've had a bad day or a bad week. That could be a part of it, but we don't fight against flesh and blood. There is the powers of the enemy is working against us through personalities. Powers are working through personalities. The enemy will send somebody to say something to you to take your joy. Somebody will have a bad attitude. Somebody will say something to you to tick you off and get you mad. But that's exactly where the devil wants you to go. Because the devil knows he can't get you by sex and drugs and alcohol. But he'll send somebody by your way. Principalities will work through personalities to steal your joy. Because the enemy knows you have a problem with insecurity. The enemy knows what you do behind closed doors. And he will strategically put people in your path to take you joy to put you down and to beat you down and all the while he's in the back saying my plan is working and that is why we got to be smarter than the enemy you have to be smarter than the enemy you have to know what the enemy is doing to be smarter than the enemy the bible says in ephesians chapter number six verse 12 he says finally my brethren be strong I want you to be strong in the Lord. He never said, I want you to feel strong. He said, I want you to be strong. Because all of us can testify we don't feel strong half of the time. He says, finally, my brother, I want you to be strong. In other words, I want you to be confident in the strength that the Lord is going to give you. You're not going to feel the strength. As a matter of fact, you might even feel the opposite. But by faith, you need to know that if you're in the Lord, you can be strengthened tonight. Can I hear an amen? Finally, my brethren, I want you to be strong. I don't want you to feel strong. I want you to be strong. He says, I have already told you lots of things. The book of Ephesians is a book about identity, your identity in Christ. You're seated in Christ in heavenly places. We are the workmanship of God. That's found in the book of Ephesians. Over and over in the book of Ephesians, you have the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Because the book is about identity, who we are in Jesus. Chapter number one deals with our, our, our role as a workmanship in Christ. Chapter two talks about us walking in the spirit of love. Chapter four deals with faith. Chapter six deals with marital relationships with our wife with our children, with our spouse. It deals with the relationships because, listen, if you're going to be seated with Christ in heavenly places and you're going to find your identity in Christ, then that should affect your relationships around you. And then he ends the book by saying, listen, I don't want you to forget this, but you need to be strong. In other words, I just told you what you needed to do. I told you you needed to be strong in your marriage. I told you that you needed to walk in love. I told you that you're God's workmanship. I told you that you are in Christ. But you don't need to forget that although you are in Christ, 
that does not prevent the enemy coming against you. So therefore, you need to be strong. You need to stand against the wiles of the devil. I know you think you're mighty. I know that you think you're Pentecostal proud because you got a big Bible and you go to church on Sunday morning and you sing those songs. But he said, finally, my brethren, I need to remind you that although you are in Christ, although you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, you need to be reminded that there is an enemy that's after your soul. He is an evil one. And just because you are redeemed and sanctified and justified doesn't mean he's not going to wage war against your soul. He's waging war against us. He's waging war against us. And just because you don't believe in the enemy doesn't mean that he doesn't have an impact upon your life. Just because you're ignorant of it doesn't mean he's not impacting your life. Some of you are afflicted of the enemy. Your children are afflicted of the enemy. There's, there, there's demonic oppression come against your home and against the, the forces of darkness is waging war against your very soul tonight. We have to be aware of it. The Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong. Don't feel strong, but be strong in the Lord. He says, in the power of his might. You see, one of the things, number one, what I want to tell you is that you can't come against the enemy by willpower. You've got to have divine power. Can I hear an amen? You can't fight against the enemy by willpower. And that is the humanistic philosophy of our day that we fight against the enemy by willpower. I see all the time. People come to the front, they cry their ball, and they say, Pastor, I'll do better. That's willpower. I'll do better, Pastor. I'll do better. They go to rehab. They go to counseling. They go to this. They go to that. And they try to do better. Pastor, I'll stop looking at porn. Pastor, I'll stop doing that. Pastor, I'll stop doing that. Pastor, I'll stop doing that. I'm going to try better. This is a new year. New year, new me. This is a new resolution. I'm going to try better. And that's exactly where the enemy wants to get you. He wants to get you to a place where you just try better because he knows you can never in your own self try to do anything that pleases God. Try better. Willpower. The worship of willpower. I'll try better, I'll be better. I'll do the seven steps to self-esteem. I'll do better, I'll read more, I'll pray more, I'll do better. You can't have willpower when you're facing the enemy. You've got to have divine power. Can I hear an amen? You've got to have divine power. And that is one of the great things about the Pentecostal church. Nothing wrong with other churches that's liturgical. We celebrate them. But the, one of the things that we celebrate and emphasize is, Behold, I give unto you power that you would tread upon the serpents and scorpions. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, the, Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait on the promise of the Father because in 10 days the Holy Spirit's going to show up and He's going to baptize you with fire. Can I hear an amen? You're going to be endued with power. Is there anybody tonight endued with power? Is there anybody tonight endued with the Holy Spirit that you can't fight the enemy by willpower? He has given you delegated authority where you can stand up not in your resources, not in your identity, but you can stand up in the strength of the Lord and say what the Lord says and say, because he has anointed me, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to bind up those who are bruised. He has sent me to cast demons out and raise the dead and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's not my power, but it is the power of God working in me and working through me to accomplish the plan of God.
Hallelujah. Is there anybody in here that believes in the power of the Holy Ghost? You can't fight the devil with willpower. Some of you cussing the kids and, and kicking the cat and kicking the dog and cussing at this and throwing the remote control to the, the TV. The enemy is at work. Demonic forces waging a war against the forces of light. You've got to be smarter than the devil. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That you may be able to stand against the tricks of the devil. In other words, that's how he deceives us. He tricks us with something that looks good, smells good, looks righteous, looks godly. But Paul says you've got to be strong now because he's going to try to trick you. I know, chapter 2, you're in Christ. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places, but beware that the enemy wants to trick you. Be strong in the Lord, the power of His might. He says, verse number 11, be put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Now listen to me, church. The Scripture never said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to prevent the wiles of the devil. There are some things in your life you can't rebuke. There are some things in your life you can't cast out. There are some things in your life you can't bind anymore. Some of you are bound so much your binder is broke. Your rebuker is broke. And you're wondering what's wrong. Because there are some things in your life that you've got to stand against. Can somebody just help pastor preach a little bit? There are some things that you've got to stand up under. There are some things you've got to endure up under pressure. There are some things you just got to learn to stand no matter what's happening around you or in you. He has given you the strength. Finally, my brethren, be strong. I have put strength in you. I have put confidence in you to stand against the wiles of the devil. I'm not going to prevent them. I want you to stand against them. I want you to stand against the tricks of the devil. I want you to stand against the systematic tricks, the systematic plotting of the devil. I've caused you to stand. And some people can't stand against the devil because they don't know enough of the Word of God to stand against the devil. They immediately are deceived and tricked by the enemy and they fall into apostasy because they don't even know enough of the Word of God. So therefore they fall because the enemy has tricked them. So, why so much passionate preaching tonight? I'll tell you why. Because uh, Joshua Harris, who wrote the book on Kiss Dating Goodbye, who was a pastor, a prominent pastor, recently came out, read it on Charisma News, it's all over Christianity. He came out and he said, I've abandoned the faith, I don't believe in it anymore. He left the church, he, Christianity, is, he doesn't believe in it anymore. And just recently in Hillsong Worship, we all know what Hillsong Worship is, Hillsong Worship has produced thousands and thousands and thousands of songs for Christianity, and one of their main lead singers, who is Marty Sampson, I do believe, Marty Sampson, recently just came out, and he's also abandoned the faith, and it says it's not worth living for anymore, he's left the church, abandoned the faith, and now it's made very public. We need somebody in this uh, dramatic, self-seeking, narcissist world to stand up for truth. There is a battle for truth, ladies and gentlemen, 
And what's happened is, is that the church has exalted the, 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 the worship leaders. We've made worship leaders as though they are celebrities because they can wear skinny jeans and spike their hair and they can get up with a cool sanctuary with lights down and fog smoke. And we think everything they sing is scriptural and we think everything that they do is... So half of the worship leaders I know, not in this church, but some of the revivals I go to, worship leaders go in the backstage and don't even come for the sermon. They're just there to perform. We need somebody to stand up for truth. The enemy is after truth and we need to stand up for truth biblical truth for the word of God I don't care if you can wear skinny jeans I want to know do you know the word of God and the enemy wants to trick us if we can have good worship music and we can get in here and sing for 45 minutes we think we've had a good church service but we can never exclude the word of God the word of God has to be mixed with worship you see Saul was tormented by the devil, and do you know what he wanted? He wanted David to come and sing to him with his harp, but he didn't want to listen to the word of the Lord from the prophet. And that's exactly what's happening nowadays. We want people who want to have a worship service for an hour, but they don't want to sit in a church service and listen to the man of God preach a sermon because we get so distracted because that's exactly what the devil does. And so that now, therefore, Saul calls for David, get your harp out, play, play, play for me because I'm vexed with demons. And David would play and it would soothe his soul, but he would never repent because he wouldn't listen to the word of the prophet. And we have a generation of a bunch of crazy Christians who would prefer to sing for 45 minutes and sing for an hour and sing for a half hour and never be obedient according to the scriptures. You see what the scripture says? If you're living in sin, there's a problem. The first message of Jesus was repent and believe the gospel. We don't want to hear it nowadays. If you're living with somebody that's not your spouse, you are living in sin. If you are participating in homosexuality, it is a sin. We love you, we welcome you, but we don't affirm it. Can I hear an amen? You say, well, pastor, that's hard preaching. It is hard, but mercy and truth goes together. What is wrong with this generation? So Joshua Harris puts on Instagram that he was at a LGBT community parade with a rainbow on it. Now, this is a former pastor who is married to a woman who has several children who just recently got up and left his church. So he gets on Instagram. Am I, am I talking to anybody tonight? He's divorcing her, so he's at this LGBT community taking a selfie saying how liberated he is. Sometimes people marry to cover up their issues. Somehow he didn't deal with his issues. He's not rooted in biblical truth. And the enemy has deceived him. We don't wrestle against flesh. You see, it's more. It's more than just sin. It's a demonic spirit in this generation deceiving men and women from the truth. Did you hear what Pastor Josh said? 
I said, there's a demonic spirit being loosed in this generation and people are leaving the truth. Church members are apostatizing the faith and leaving the faith. You know why they're leaving the faith? It's because the enemy has come in and he has deceived their intellect and deceived their heart and they've left and abandoned orthodox Christianity. That's why Jude said in verse number 3 of chapter number 1, Jude verse number 3, Beloved, while I was diligent to write to you concerning your common salvation, I found it necessary to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith that which was once delivered to all the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long were marked out for this condemnation. They've turned the grace of our God into lewdness. Deny the only Lord, our God. That's why he said in verse number, verse number 11, he says to the church, he says, Woe unto you, Cain. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily after the heir of Balaam for profit, and they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Woe to them. It's exactly what's happening. People are going the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? The way of Cain is willpower. The way of Cain is self-righteous. I'll do my offering the way I want to do my offering. I don't care how I'm supposed to. I'll do it the way I want to do it. And if God doesn't accept it, then that, I'm going to get mad and upset about it because I wanted to do it my way. God rejected Cain's offering and accepted his brother's offering because there's a white, right way to worship and there's a process of worship. God is systematic just like the devil is systematic. There is a way to do things. There's an order to do things. And when you do it yourself, you get yourself in trouble. For you have run greedily after the heir of Balaam. You have done things for profit. You are in it for profit. You have, you're selfish. You've done it for filthy lucre. And you have perished in the rebellion of Korah. What is Korah? Rebellion against authority. Rebellion against leadership. We hear from God too. And you know what God did? He opened up the earth and swallowed company Korah and his company because of their rebellious attitude towards godly leadership. He said, woe unto them. Woe unto them, for they have followed the way of Cain. They have ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, and they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. He says, verse number 12, he says, you know what it is? He says, these apostates, they're depraved. They're doomed. Because verse number 12, there are spots in the feast of your love feast. While they're feasting without fear, serving, one, serving themselves, they are clouds without water. They appear real good. The cloud looks real good, but they have no substance. They talk a lot, but they're no substance. They sing a lot, but there's no substance to them. They're clouds with no water. They're carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. Autumn trees look real good. They're very colorful, but they're dying. There's no fruit on an autumn tree. You look real good. You look like you're prospering. You look like you're singing. You look really good, but you're dying. The cloud looks really good, but it offers nothing to you. He says... Twice they're dead and they're pulled up by the roots. He says they're raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. There is a tragedy. The enemy 
is deceiving. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may not prevent, but stand against the trickery of the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this age. He says, but you need to take up Take up the armor of God, the full armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Listen. You have to stand. It's not prevented. But we've got to stand. Stand. He says, closing, he says this, he says, the power of the Lord, for put on the whole armor of God, you may be stand against the wiles of the devil. He says, verse 12, Therefore take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done to all to stand. You see how many times he uses the word stand? Stand in the evil day? Stand against the trickery? The word wiles is trickery or schemes of the enemy. This, you know what a scheme is? A scheme is a systematic plot against another party. A scheme is a systematic plot against another party. That's exactly what the devil is doing. A systematic plot against you. A calculated plot to bring you down. A calculated plot to weaken your resolve and your faith. Jesus said to Peter, the enemy desires to sift you as we, but I have prayed for you that your faith would fail not. Peter, Peter, a great apostle. Peter who walked with the Lord, yes. He said, I've prayed for you, Peter, because the enemy is desiring to take you out. But I have prayed for you that your faith would fail not. That your faith would fail not. I am convinced that Pentecostals are more distracted by the dramatic than anything else. We're distracted by the dramatic. And since we're so distracted by the dramatic, the enemy tricks us. To believe something that's not scriptural. Tricks us to believe something that's not biblical and orthodox. What's orthodox? The scriptures that's been handed down to us through the church ages. That's true. That's been tested. That's valid. Why do we stand in church on Sunday morning and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and all that is seen and unseen. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's orthodox. It's been handed to us for 2,000 years from the apostles. It's not something we made up. It's we given mental assent and heart assent to something that is true and biblical and valid for this generation. Can I hear an amen?